Hey folks, this is Michael, and welcome to Tatter. Before we get started, I just want to say that unless anyone says that they are speaking on behalf of a particular organization or group, you should assume that each person's views expressed on Tatter are theirs and theirs alone. I just want to make that clear to avoid misunderstanding. And now that I have effectively precluded any such misunderstanding, let's get started. Here's Tatter. According to the website 538, as of October 13th, the Democratic Party had a 1 in 5 chance of taking control of the U.S. Senate. There are 35 seats up for election, and all but 9 of them are ones held by members of the Democratic Caucus, and that includes two independents who caucus with them. To retake the Senate, Democrats need to hold their seats while taking some seats currently held by Republicans. One such seat will be determined by a special election in Mississippi. Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith was appointed to replace Senator Thad Cochran, who resigned for health reasons. She's now in a special election to determine who will serve out the balance of the term. There's another Republican in the special election, as well as Democrat Mike Espy, who was Agriculture Secretary under President Bill Clinton, and who was also a former U.S. House Representative. Given how narrow the existing Republican majority is in the Senate, every seat matters. And so, as much of a red state as Mississippi is, I wanted to talk to someone who's been following the local politics. I spoke to Jeff Pender, political editor for the Clarion Ledger, which is based in Jackson, Mississippi. We spoke about that Senate race, but also about what might be coming out of the Mississippi State House, perhaps legislation en route to challenge before the U.S. Supreme Court, which Brett Kavanaugh just joined. This episode is titled... Magnolia in Bloom. I grew up uh, in the Jackson area, and like I said, spent nearly 20 years on the coast. Oh, in Biloxi. uh, With the uh, newspaper down there, and then been back up here almost seven years. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, I appreciate your taking the time to talk And as I said, when I reached out to you, one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons I wanted to talk was that in the wake of the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, despite some pretty uh, forceful objections, it seems pretty clear that if you have the numbers in the Senate, you can impose your will. And that seems to be what, at least in my view, the Republicans uh, have done say what you will of the the merits of uh, of their case uh they definitely had the numbers and now he is on the supreme court and so looking ahead i'm imagining that many democrats are wondering how can they if ever take control uh of the senate and it's going to require turning some states that are currently represented or turning some seats i should say in the senate that are currently represented by uh, Republicans, uh, to democratic, uh, seats. And I was struck as I went to 538 and they're referring to a seat being contested by among others, uh, Cindy Hyde Smith and, uh, Republican and Mike Espy, uh, Democrat. And they give Hyde Smith a five and six chance of winning and Espy a one and seven chance of winning. So, uh, not an extreme long shot, but still a long shot. I wonder if that sure. forecast aligns with what you're seeing 
uh, at a more yeah. local level, from, from a more local perspective there? Mathematically, sure, I guess so. That 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 would appear about about that would appear to be the odds, pretty much. Uh, you know, this race is going to be a uh, what some people call a jungle primary. It's to, there there was no primary for this race. It's to fulfill an unexpired term, and uh, it's going to be run uh, as a general election, basically four candidates and uh we're one of the last states with a runoff system in such a case so most likely this is going to go to a runoff and most likely between cindy hodsmith and mike espy Uh, although uh there's a republican candidate chris mcdaniel a uh, tea party backed kind of a, a firebrand type who uh, very nearly won the seat in 2014 against Thad Cochran, did win the first vote, in fact, and lost in a runoff, in a primary runoff. And uh, uh, McDaniel, at this point, can't totally be, totally be counted out. He, uh, his base may have diminished a little bit since 2014, but they are very vocal and enthusiastic. Yeah. Uh, and this is going to, you know, we're we're in an off year for our state elections and everything. So, uh, you know, come November, turnout may be a little difficult. And the name of the game is going to be turning out your your people. It's not so much trying to uh, to win over hearts and minds right now. It's the the three top tier candidates in this are trying to ensure their base and supporters actually turn out. So, again, that makes us a little more of a wild card. Uh, of course, ever since the uh, the lightning strike, as they call it, in uh, <laughs> Alabama, uh, Democrats in the, in the Deep South have kind of uh, perked up a little bit. And, uh, you know, they, they are viewing this as a, you know, somewhat better chance uh, than there would have been for a Mississippi Senate seat in recent in many recent cycles is it is it fair to say that uh the democratic candidate mike espy's chances would be better in a runoff against mcdaniel than hyde smith that that even uh even mr espy has sort of alluded to that in some interviews uh one would think so the the dynamics of that would be that you know one would think that mcdaniel being very conservative and uh more Tea Party or even Libertarian oriented, I, you know, some of the establishment Republicans, uh, you know, might either sit things out or uh, potentially even cross over. Uh, and Mr. Espy has a political history here and is actually one of, you know, it was in a, a smaller, you know, House district, but uh, he did uh, did appear to enjoy some crossover votes and, and popularity, at least back then in the uh, early and mid-90s. Can you characterize the campaign that Espy has run? Espy has had to, and, and, and I think understandably, he's had to focus a lot on, on fundraising, and he's had to spend a lot of time in D.C. Yep. Uh, trying to, to get some uh, some support they might dispute this, but it does appear that you know he's uh, 
given the state's uh, voting numbers and everything, he's probably considering that you know he's going to make it into a runoff. So I think he's uh, he's trying to uh, gather everything he can, both financial and and support wise. Uh, probably with the thought being that if this you know this goes to a runoff, if the control of the Senate is still in play, then all eyes of the nation are on this, and much money and support will be pouring in. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I think that's one thing he's uh, he's trying to look at. Uh, Hyde Smith and McDaniel have almost appeared to be involved in a primary, and yeah. obviously they're looking at the same scenario that someone's going to a uh, going to a runoff. So for much of the this race so far, the two of them have focused on each other and not not you know very much on uh, on Espy. Uh, they, they've been battering away at each other. What issues have been the ones that Hyde Smith has emphasized the most? Hyde Smith emphasizes more so than perhaps anything else that she has the endorsement of President Trump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the president remains very popular in this state. He did... Uh, it took a little while, and there might have been some initial reluctance, but he did endorse her, and uh, that is a huge focus. She has a new batch of ads out as we speak, uh, running in a uh, an endless loop that have the president uh, singing her praises. Yeah, uh, Hyde Smith served in the state senate for several terms as a Democrat. Yeah, she. Uh, she switched parties, I believe, in 2010 and became Republican just before she ran for state agriculture commissioner successfully twice. Yeah. Uh, McDaniel has hammered away that she's truly a uh, still a Democrat and uh, raises the the bugaboo that she she must have voted for Hillary Clinton right. in 2008. Uh, there are records that she voted in a uh, in the Democratic primary, but of course, there's no proof <laughs> from a ballot uh, over who she vote, voted for. Right. So uh, that's been a big issue. She's defended that, and she's really, when she was a Democrat in the state Senate, she was very conservative and t- quite frequently voted with Republicans uh, to the point she was not very favored by our own party at times. So in her advertising and, and speeches and everything, she constantly hammers away that she's conservative. Uh, 538 uh, that you mentioned uh, did crunch some numbers and determined she was the only senator uh, as of late who had uh, voted to support uh Trump's agenda 100% of the time, and you hear that in every ad pretty much as well. So uh, she is really, really uh, pumping up the, the endorsement from the president. Well, that's interesting for, for me because I recently saw an article suggesting that even though Trump remains extremely popular among Republicans, that mm-hmm. nationwide and in many states, the number of people registered and identifying as Republicans 
has fallen with more people switching to become independents. Has that not, to your knowledge, been a trend in Mississippi? No, I don't think, not only Mississippi, but I don't think much of the Deep South has uh, has seen that trend, not to any significant effect to date. So looking not just at this particular election, uh, but perhaps uh, over the mid-range and long-range, is it conceivable that Mississippi, which has been a pretty red state recently, could become purple in the way that some people talk about Texas? If that happens, will it be dark purple, as I was thinking, meaning driven uh, by uh, African-American Democrats, or do you see it remaining a red, and uh, in, 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 in particular in these Senate seats, are they likely to remain red for a long time? As, as a state lawmaker who's known to mangle a saying or two once said, you know, eventually the pendulum will the pendulum will turn. <laughs> uh, it, that will be a slow process. I mean, it, it was a slow process for Mississippi to go from overwhelmingly Democratic to uh, to overwhelmingly Republican, and uh, uh, sure, it's feasible. We, uh, for one thing, I mean, we have a. Uh, a population that you know there used to be a saying here even even in recent times that uh if you're a democrat and you have a pulse you should be able to pull 40 plus percent of the vote so uh you know the the number the total numbers themselves are not so far askew and we have seen uh in the last couple of cycles democrats have regained some ground in in local races so uh, sure, and I, Mississippi's uh, population uh, is and will be changing, just like you know, rest of the nation. So uh, certainly, there there's a possibility to uh, to become more more purple. Uh, again, it may be it may take a while, and Mississippi may be slower in in that change than others, but it's it's certainly possible. So it sounds as if at least one of my assumptions and the question, which was that it might be driven by uh, over-representation statistically of African-Americans in the Mississippi Democratic Party. Sounds as if you're not sure you buy into that idea. Well, uh, no, certainly. I mean, one can just look at the numbers and reality from from local races to legislative offices uh if i understand your your question correctly and uh again i mean you know so many people are looking at and talking about alabama yeah and uh certainly that was a factor there one thing people mention when they compare us is that we have a larger african american right. population in alabama i think alabama was in the 27 percent range and right. we're in the 38 yep. percent range so the overwhelming again, majority if I, under, if I understood your question maybe i didn't understand your well, question I mean, well just correctly. no i think you did i mean what i'm driving at is yeah i had, I had understood that the black population in mississippi was about 40 percent, and my presumption is that population overwhelmingly votes democratic sure yes yes and absolutely. and i was i was assuming then that that would mean that 
they're not a majority of Democratic voters, but they're statistically overrepresented among Democratic voters, and they might therefore be a critical block within the Democratic oh, Party. Absolutely, to, to, absolutely. To win I over. Do know, uh, from some reporting we've done, for instance, uh, again, a, a lot of Democrats across the Deep South are looking at, at Alabama, and while they admit there might have been some uh, very, you know, large anomalies there in the, you know, allegations against yeah. Moore and all, but yeah. they are using that as a template, and part of that template was uh, really uh, turning out and getting, you know, presidential level. Uh, voting levels from African Americans and uh, particularly and and we're seeing a big drive here a big ground game drive already fully underway uh with African American women uh yeah. they're going to uh I think be a be a big factor moving forward and uh, that's one of the takeaways the uh Democratic parties in other deep south states uh gained from Alabama I believe um, so shifting to a different topic, I mentioned earlier that uh, Brett Kavanaugh is now a, an associate justice on the U.S. Supreme Court, and I'm reminded that in a couple of uh, recent episodes of my podcast, I had occasion to talk to a combination of law professors and um, a former clerk, actually, for, I believe she clerked for Supreme Court Justice Breyer at one point. But sure. we talked about the likely impact of Kavanaugh's addition to the court. And one thing we focused on was Roe versus Wade, which, of course, has been mm -hmm. uh, one of the most frequently discussed topics in anticipating his impact. And the majority sentiment among them if not consensus, but the majority sentiment was that it was unlikely that Kavanaugh would be a vote to outright overturn Roe v. Wade, but that sure. he, he would be a vote to, to uphold more state-level restrictions and so would chip away at a minimum at the meaningfulness of the uh, rights conferred by Roe v. Wade. And so that prospect raises the question of what kinds of new state-level restrictions we might see emerging and I wonder, sure. uh, and and what you're talking about, Mississippi's uh, Republican leadership has been hoping and banking on that being the case. Uh, Mississippi already has one in the pipeline uh, that uh, uh, this year in our legislative session, uh, our legislature passed a 15-week uh, ban on abortions. Uh, you know, making us one of the we, we were already one of the more restrictive states with a whole with a, a chain of laws going back many years. But uh, meaning that, that meaning passed. that meaning that after fifteen weeks from that point forward, abortion yeah, would it, it would ban abortions fifteen weeks after a woman's last menstrual period was. Wow. I believe the way the law was worded. Wow, uh, it I believe it would make it, if not the most restrictive, one of the most restrictive. Uh, laws in the in the country, and uh, a federal judge has uh, has granted a temporary restraining order on that uh, more recently, and uh, the 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 folks finding this 
have actually expanded their challenge in the federal courts to uh, to try and uh, try and block some some other restrictions that have been on the books here for for years. Uh, Mississippi has uh, a requirement for a parental waiver, parental notification. Uh, uh, to the point of it, in, in fact, Mississippi has one clinic now right. uh, that that performs abortions. That's it. Uh, they've uh, state law has uh, you know every, every chance. Several of our leaders, uh, our lieutenant governor, expected to ascend to governor, uh, has has recently said, and I believe he's repeating others that. Uh, that they want to make this the safest state in the union for the unborn, and uh, they, certainly laws have been passed uh, attempting to do so. So, if uh, if the uh, U.S. Supreme Court is going to uh, going to be taking up state laws, Mississippi will uh, be near the uh, front of the line, I would imagine. What about on? And again, it was stated uh, this legislative session when there was debate over this new, uh, this new fifteen-week ban. Uh, it, it was stated openly that this, you know, was being pushed in part because they're hoping that uh, a new. Uh, this was even before Kavanaugh's appointment came up, but that uh, that there would be uh, a new court under President Trump and uh, that such laws would uh, would fare better. Are there any other issues, such as LGBT rights or voting rights, where you see that the legislature might be emboldened by a more Sure, and, and again, they've, uh, they're already there. <laughs> we, uh, after uh, the 20, I believe it was a 2015 gay marriage ruling, uh, the legislature had already passed a, a, a RIFRA bill like many other states have. That's a religious freedom? Religious freedom bill. But after that ruling, they came back and passed uh, passed another bill that really has drawn a lot of national scrutiny and criticism. But uh, the infamous House Bill 1523, uh, again, it was uh, in response to the Supreme Court's 2015 decision on uh, legalizing same-sex marriage. Uh, the Mississippi bill says it protects three beliefs uh, that a marriage is only between a man and woman, that sex should occur only in such a marriage, and that a person's gender is just determined at birth and cannot be altered. Uh, it was... Um, wow. Ostensibly, and again, it was viewed by the LGBT community as uh, as an attempt to legalize discrimination, or, or you know, many many phrases like that used. Yeah. Um, and again, that of course faced an initial challenge. It was uh, it was put on hold from going into law for a while, but that it, it has become state law now. Uh, but there are continuing uh, legal challenges to it, and that's another one that could certainly uh, make its way up to the high court.
what do you think the profile of the Democrat who eventually wins a U.S. Senate seat from Mississippi is going to be? And whether that's, are they more likely to be African-American than not? Are they more likely to be, I assume, a political moderate or right-leaning Democrat? What's their profile going to be? I think in Mississippi it would have to be at the least a moderate, if not a somewhat right-leaning Democrat, because uh, some some issues here, Mississippians of any political party or any other uh, any other category uh, are conservative. I mean, you know, uh, rural agriculture background. Just there, there are some things that that cross all sorts of other other borders but uh you know uh, mississippians again they they uh i think have the ability to overlook party labels uh from time to time uh that's there's been less and less of that on a federal level yeah and uh i think the candidate that overcomes that uh is going to have to be, <laughs> at least in the near term, going to have to be a, uh, I don't know, uh, populist, uh, probably someone who eschews party labels themselves. Uh, uh, that's, that's a good question. I don't know that we've seen that person yet, particularly not for uh, federal races. Uh, but... Uh, Maybe we, maybe the DLC, the old Democratic Leadership Council, needs to fire up again. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> That's it for Tatter. I want to thank Jeff Pender for taking the time to talk with me. Check out tatter.fireside.fm and go to the page for this episode for links to information about Pender and the Senate race that we discussed. As always, to offer feedback on this or any episode, use Twitter. The handle is at tatter underscore rags. You can also go to iTunes and post a review there. To offer monetary support, go to patreon.com slash tatter, where you can do the equivalent of buying me a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. But please, and I say this for ethical reasons, if any of you who are listening are students at the college where I teach, do not do that. You can't offer support for me. But for everyone else, come on in. The Patreon water is just fine. In any case, thanks for listening, and be well. <laughs>